Hi everyone, Mian Matesh here for the in-house pro bono group. Thanks for joining us for our Justice Week 2020 podcast series. Over the next three episodes, we bring together a truly inspirational charity and young leaders to discuss with them the importance of understanding the justice system, the value of the rule of law, and how justice and the rule of law are fundamental to our lives and freedoms in the context of saving the planet. We hope you enjoy the podcast as much as we enjoy the interviews. Hi, I'm Mitesh. And I'm Deborah. And Mitesh and I are members of the UK's in-house pro bono group. We are a working group bringing together in-house counsel leading or looking to lead pro bono legal programs at their organizations. For further information on our organization or to join our membership, please drop us an email info at inhouseprobono, all one word, dot UK. Today, we are celebrating the UK's Justice Week, which aims to improve access to justice and the rule of law, placing them at the centre stage of public and political debate. This year's focus of Justice Week is on one of the most powerful forces in today's market, the under-25s. Today's theme is Saving the Planet. Bringing all these themes together for our podcast, today we have with us James Streeter from Interclimate Network, and Emily, who's a student at Kendrick School in Reading. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll start with an easy one if we can. Um, please feel free to tell us a bit about yourselves. Okay, so let me, let me start. Um, Interclimate Network is a, a charity that works with secondary school uh, students to switch them on to climate change and then give them the opportunity to form an opinion, express that opinion, and then also take action. And when we mean action, that's you know the, the day-to-day sort of life-changing things that you do. Um, and also it's about um, advocacy, so having a voice and being able to uh, give that voice, uh, air that voice in front of decision makers. And lastly, it's about making decisions about your career. Um, personally, I, I work in sustainability as my career, and I'm the executive chair of Interclimate Network in in, in my spare time. Um, I go to um, Kendrick School in Reading, so I'm doing I'm 17. I'm doing my A levels, and I got into um, learning about climate change and into kind of climate um, justice and advocacy for young people through attending the model climate conference that was put on by Interclimate Network. And that kind of triggered me to look at different ways I can get involved. And I joined my local youth council and we I'm the climate change officer for that. So it's kind of I'm really interested in getting other young people really engaged in climate change and looking at um, solutions that we can find. Great. Starting with you, James, if we may. What inspired you to join and uh, get involved with Interclimate Network? Gosh, we're going right back to my childhood now. Um, I, I think, you know, and, and I don't underestimate this, the uh, power of parents, to be honest. My uh, my mother was constantly exposing us to nature, the outdoors and, and the life around us. And um, so quite early on, I, I sort of had it in my DNA. And um, I then decided to pursue that at university. Um, and after university, I was one of the sort of first generation to um, to get a job in sustainability. In fact, it wasn't even called sustainability then. It was environmental management uh, back in the early 90s. And Emily, maybe you can tell us a bit about your 
What what prompted you to join up? I know you said you you attended this uh, this event, but have do you have other other influences that have made you think about climate change in um, your life? Well, I do A level geography, so that's we have whole topics on carbon. It's massive in the curriculum for um, the subjects that I take. So kind of from that, it got, it um, definitely helps with interest and also getting um, a lot more information that I think is necessarily easy to find online if you're looking to research stuff because it's um laid out for you in a very this leads to this this is this way which is quite interesting and yeah but it was made pretty much literally that I went to this model climate conference and I became so interested in it so um the country that I represented was the UK so I had to research um all of like the UK stances on um climate change and sustainability and what the aims were long term and then from that research Obviously, it helped that I was representing the UK in this model um, conference because it meant that I knew exactly how these um, policies pertain to me and to my life. I yeah, looked up more information, um, joined the Reading Climate Action Network. So we look at reducing carbon in Reading and yeah, just became really interested. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make there, Emily, and, and it's how um, how these things relate to us as individuals, but also as individuals in society. And I think that's I think that's the compelling theme here is about um, we see this every day in, a, in our in, in our lives in society and therefore you know um, a lot of people want to do something about it and that's certainly why I've got involved with Interclimate on top of my career because I feel it's a really good opportunity to sort of give back. And speaking of impact and giving back what are some of the things that students walk away from after they do this this model UN around climate change. So what we what we aim to do is a number of things. So that I would break it down into two things. One is the kind of almost like the the subject related materials. So around climate change, around um, geopolitics, around complexity and dif difficult decisions. Then um, and and following on from that, it's then about taking action and how they can actually get into that. But really importantly, there's the um, the other side of it is what you might call the softer skills. So the the students have to take on information, they have to process that, they have to then um, make decisions in situ in the model climate conference, and speak publicly. And um, these skills are are, tr are are tremendous um, building blocks for their careers. So it's um, it is very thematic, but then it's also um, much more sort of um, life skills as well. Yeah. So um, in terms of what I experienced having gone to one of the model climate conferences, sorry, is it definitely um, with what you're saying about the softer skills, it was definitely one of the first times that I'd been given a massive pack of information and had to go, cool, this is what we think there. And it was a lot of, you always had to defend your own um, country's policies and you had to look for ways of collaboration as part of the conference with other countries. And I never really considered that part of um, politics and that actually, even though in an idealistic world, every country would get along perfectly, realistically, there are regulations and other things that might prevent that. So that was quite an interesting thing to look at. And then um, in terms of obviously the more curriculum based skills in any curriculum that anyone learns, it's never going to have everything about climate change in it because it's such a massive topic. And it was really interesting learning about ways that ways of thinking about climate change and thinking about sustainability and reducing carbon in um, national policies that I'd never considered before. So I think I learned quite a lot that way as well. 
And, and we we feel that, um, um, and we've had a lot of feedback from teachers that the the scenarios that we put the students in are quite unique. Uh, one teacher said to us, um, the only time we've ever interacted with a school is when they're the opponents on a sports pitch. But we give them the opportunity to do something that's collaborative um, and that's really quite special and it brings out a lot of different sort of reactions and skills. And Emily, you spoke a bit about researching all the regulations. Um, do you think that laws, and in particular the rule of law, has a part to play in managing climate change and climate justice? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that laws have a way in managing climate change. Um, in terms of regulations, I think that the level to which it is possible to manage obviously climate change is a massive um, problem but regulations in terms of the way it's possible to manage this issue they depend so much on the laws of the country and the regulations that businesses are put under in terms of carbon emissions and um, in terms of what people actually do and any kind of carbon tax everything is so dependent on the individual laws of a country so I think in that way yeah there's a massive impact and stuff that could still definitely be done to try and reduce carbon footprint. Emily, you mentioned that you're a, if I got it right, a climate change officer. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I'm on my local youth council. I got elected by the young people in my area of Reading back in uh, March of 2019. And then we do internal elections for officer roles. So the officer role that I ended up on was the climate change officer. So part of that, I think I have to meet. The big thing is that I have to look at things that are based around climate change in the news or regulations that are passed, and then I have to feed them back to the youth council. And that's quite interesting because obviously a lot of stuff about climate change is written in, it's written for adults, it's written for people with degrees, it's written in a way that's quite inaccessible for a lot of young people. So something that's been quite difficult is the youth council ranges from anyone age virtually 10 upwards to 18. So it's a massive range of people with where they've gotten to in a curriculum and the kind of accessible level of language. So I have to kind of look at what I learn and then re virtually rephrase the entire article or the entire everything that I've read so that other people can understand it quite accessibly. And also I meet with, um, I'm part of the role is that I meet with councillors to do with climate change, I think three times a year as well. So when we talk about access to justice, that is a bit your role then, isn't it? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and do you feel that that, that working with, uh, with the Model UN has helped you, helped you, op you know, open those doors and to be able to provide that access to justice to, to, to others in your community? Yeah, I think it definitely has. I think definitely working with the model climate conferences has made such a difference to um, being able to access um, different pieces of information and be able to explain them. Because I definitely, by going to the climate conference and through other stuff with Interclimate Network, I've learned things that I definitely wouldn't have learnt in another way. And also because you um, meet with people from different schools and who have had different experiences to you, um, it helps to be able to put vocabulary in a different way and to be able to put um, information in a way that other people will understand because just because you're super interested in climate change and super interested in all the regulations about it doesn't mean that everyone else necessarily is as interested as you might be so in that way it was it's really interesting through in a climate network having met other schools and had discussions about climate change with other schools. I, th I think um, 
on the broader um, climate justice theme, that's a big motivator for what we're doing. Um, we don't touch on the, the more sort of legal or litigation side of it, although there is a, I think there is a place for that to, to a certain degree. But the, what we try and do is by, by giving these young people access to advocacy opportunities and access to remedy effectively in that they can take action it means that they it really broadens their understanding of this complex issue the the strikes and and um uh, the, the school strikes for climate i um they uh, whereas we believe they have a purpose we we don't condone those at all um however we see that young people by needing to, or wanting to do this have a desire to express their opinion and therefore what we try and do is to um, give them an outlet for that and give them that understanding that this is not just simply a case of the government pressing button b instead of pressing button a and it all goes away and just taking that theme one step further i'd like to ask both of you what you whether you think there are ways that young people can protect the rule of law or can change the rule of laws in this area and, and how they can go about doing that? that that's a, that's a, it's a really good question. Um, I, I would say that if you look at the... Um, I, I would say that fundamentally, so if you look at the sort of the litigation that's going on in this area around climate justice... Um, in, in the States, I think there have been a couple of cases with, with young people, you know, effectively challenging the US government to, to do more. Their human rights of a, of a climate-stable world have been um, interrupted, if, let's say, by inaction. So on that sort of macro level, I think that, you, you know, you could take that sort of that protest to the, to the very source of power. And I think that's really, really good. Um, I think that the, what, what young people have, and this is what we see coming out our events, is that they have a um, they they have this freedom of expression and this freedom of spirit to say what say it as they see it, and I think that is a great driver for for change in in in, in government in society. Uh, yeah, along those lines. So, obviously. Mm not every young person, many young people won't be able to have an um, individual massive impact. Everyone can't be Greta Thunberg, as amazing as the work she's done is. Not everyone can be that. So I think in terms of the impact that young people can have on the rule of law, um, doing advocacy work. So if an area has a local youth council, getting engaged with that is something that is so brilliant to do because not only do you get to possibly make an impact on local regulations or local councils, you also get to meet other like-minded people, other politically minded young people. And I think that that can be um, having a community of people around you who are also politically minded can make a difference in your own life as well as possibly having an impact on others as well. James, with Interclimate Network, we know that you have um, your Climate Voices program um, aiming to give a voice to to youth in the area of climate action. Could you explain a bit about that? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so we we run a series of events throughout the calendar year at school. In the autumn term, uh, we 
run model climate conferences where, as Emily said, we, we sort of simulate in a very condensed way. And um, uh, the conference of parties, the UN process, so students have to come in and learn about and represent countries. And we take them through the, the sort of staged sort of decision-making process within a COP. At the end of that, um, once they're all sort of revved up and quite excited about the, you know, the successful outcome that they, they usually come to, um, we then uh, introduce them to professionals working in different areas of sustainability. Um, and we concentrate on themes around energy, transport, food, um, fashion, and waste. Um, the, the really important thing is, is that we follow up, and increasingly now we're looking to follow up in the spring term where we go into the schools and help them to, to really to crystallize and to keep that momentum going so that they can actually take that action. And then in the end uh, of the year, and the end of our program, we bring schools together to to showcase what they've done so it's really a, a process which we we want to take them through over the course of a year and emily have you been involved in that as well um i haven't been involved in the other things than the climate network as of yet but i have been involved in the um model climate conference and as you were saying about um meeting professionals in the fields when i went we um listened to a talk by i think it was dr paul wilkins he was a um, he's a lecturer at Reading University, and we uh, um, he did a talk about how um, part of his research is based on how the Gulf Stream and flights are impacted by the turbulence um, by additional turbulence caused by climate change. So it was really interesting to meet him and be able to talk to him. And he spoke about how the point of hysteresis and the impacts on the Gulf Stream could have a lot of impacts that people don't think of with climate change. So, for example. Um, people always think of climate change as getting a lot hotter, but obviously Britain is warmed by the Gulf Stream. So actually climate change, which will end up possibly disrupting that Gulf Stream, could mean that Britain is plunged into temperatures that are the same as that of Canada or Russia now, which would have a massive impact on our agriculture. Emily, does the scale of the energy challenge ever daunt you? Yes, very much so. Um, yeah, it often feels like what is what is it possible that one person can do is definitely something that I know a lot of young people feel like what difference will I make is such a massive problem that needs that it obviously needs to be solved but people often think what can one person do and on their own one person can't fix the problem but many people doing small things I think can fix the problem so I think rather than getting daunted and discouraged by the issue of climate change which isn't necessarily the most productive um, path of sorry no which isn't necessarily the most productive um, method of trying to get something done I think it's important to just remember that even though it's a massive issue everyone doing a very small amount can still have a very big impact on the end goal and you study geography so yeah. you say you've seen you, you you've learned about these issues in school what do you think the schools are doing enough to teach about this if you are not a geography student I think there's definitely um, something that I know that the Interclimate Network talks about a lot is there being a thread of um, climate change and of sustainability running through the curriculum. And I think it's a lot easier to see that thread with the hindsight of having done geography, of having like looked for it. I think that so, 
you do a bit about when you do photosynthesis in biology in year seven, you learn about how there's a lot more carbon than can be taken back in by the trees. You learn about it in all a very age appropriate way, because obviously that's how you learn when you're 11. Mm. And so you learn that there aren't enough trees and the cutting down the trees is um, risking the carbon of the area. And then you get to GCSE and you learn about how both in biology and in um, sometimes even chemistry and geography, you learn about how fracking produces, um, how fracking for gas and cracking with halogens um, to get things like petrol uh, causes, um, it releases a lot of carbon into our atmosphere and makes it less um, clean, which can exacerbate climate change. And you learn about it um, in that way. So I think there is definitely some knowledge if you do years seven to 11 of school with the standard subjects, you do learn about climate change but I think that it's not enough of a pathway it's very much you learn about it in this bubble and in this bubble and in this bubble Mm. so I think it's harder to link the ideas together than if you have done something like A-level geography or even if separately you're just interested in climate change you can see the path but it's much harder to see the path when you're doing it at the minute. James as 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 in essence you're an educator yourself what what do you think should be done to, to to bring it all together in the school system? Are there changes you'd like to see? Well, we've seen quite a few changes over the... We've been operating for over 10 years. And as you can imagine, the last year or two, everything's got, you know, very popular on this subject. Um, what we, we have seen curriculum changes that have, um, that have impacted us and what we do. But actually, throughout the whole thing, um, what we've realized is that the the that whereas as emily said the um climate change touch there's touch points through the educational process but there's um there's nothing that's really sort of bringing it all together or making it live and what we try to do is to really make it live uh, make it personal and and also to, to you know make it collaborative and also to sh- show the students that that there is a direction here that they can take and um, you know I was speaking to a professor of environmental education recently down at Exeter University and we were talking about education really not coming in one big hit it's all about layering it on so we we understand that we are uh, you know we we will be one layer that that uh, we can uh, add on to a select number of students. However, I think that, and, and maybe maybe Emily can sort of reflect on this, is that because we, we make these events for Model Climate Conference, it's quite exciting. It's a, it's a very, very unique situation. You know, it can change them. It can change the students and give them that little sort of uh, epiphany. I'm definitely going to sound at least slightly like a plant when I say this, but actually... Um, we selected her well. Yeah. Did you have the epiphany, Emily? Yeah, I did. So I used to really? want to go into um, engineering and go down that pathway, but I went to the um, Model Climate Change Conference and it um, completely changed what I wanted to do. So it got me very, very interested in climate change and got me considering, okay, maybe I want to go and study geography at university and then... From that, I started looking for more things in my local area. So I joined the youth council, went for climate change officer, um, joined my local, um, joined the Reading Climate Action Network. And so from doing, literally from going to the conference, it basically completely changed what I want to do with my life and went from wanting to do engineering to 
doing geography and to wanting to go into climate change research or sustainability work eventually. So yeah, I think that it's definitely because it's um because for the nature of the work that Interclimate Network do, it's very um it's so different to anything else that's around pretty much at the minute. And because it takes it does it like like you're saying about it, it's not just about touching on it in different points of the curriculum. It's very much bringing it all together into one. Um, like amalgamation of this is a thing it's a big topic for everyone to be looking at and it's something that it's done in such an engaging way that it does definitely have an impact on the people that go to it i, I remember when i was at, at school and it's a while ago um but um you craved doing things that were real you know you'd had textbooks coming out of your ears absolutely yeah and actually, the you know the, the the joy and the engagement that we see with the students is um, it, you know it, we we say that we we do these things to inspire them to become action leaders, if you like, but actually it's the adults <laughs> that come out of that room fully inspired as well. Because yeah, I mean, even the most engaged student, if they're sat there reading a hundred pages on the internet of article after article after article, or reading through a textbook on climate change not only is a lot of that information very inaccessible as i said earlier it's also it's it's not engaging it's even if you're very interested in the topic it's not as engaging as it definitely could be so like in climate network with the climate conference it's a, it's such an engaging thing because not only are you actually listening to people that are interested in this field talk about it you're also getting to be the person you're getting to be one of the people in the room that has a voice in that room and gets to talk about what you think should be happening, which I think is um, really important. And that might take me on to my next question quite well. What do you think are some of the policies or initiatives that would make a positive impact on the environment? What, If you were a, a lawmaker, what would you put forward? Um, I think you were saying something like Interclimate Network are doing about that, so do you want to go first? Um, <clears throat> so I think that this this sort of reflects back on the theme we've been talking about is um, is about um, tr we're trying to reach more schools. We've we've got a really successful sort of product. Um, we've got great feedback. It's been really positively received in every metric that we try and assess. It's it, you know we get the thumbs up. Um, this year, um, our our plan is to to try and reach as many schools as possible. Um, because we want to try and take advantage of the of the COP uh, being in the UK, so we're planning on creating a, what we might call our model climate conference in a box, which we can then uh, basically distribute, you know, through our website to schools that want to actually run it. And then we can support them as well. Uh, we we are also talking with uh, Bayes and the Cabinet Office. I've got a meeting um, this afternoon to see how they can support us, but also see if we can run a, a national event um, just before the COP. So we've got some great ambitions in, in, uh, into climate. Um, so, that's, so that's within our organization. I think um, as far as, you know, the sort of legislation, regulation, government sort of intervention on this, um, I would like to see this continue to evolve in in the curriculum and have perhaps a little bit more of a coordinated uh, approach to it. You, you know, as Emily said, you, you touch upon it in different subjects at different parts of your school life. 
is it enough? I, I feel at the moment that it's fragmented and that there's opportunity for us, to, the students, to kind of get an incomplete message or to, to miss the point altogether. So I think that there's some evolution in the, in the curriculum around uh, bringing that into something that's more focused. And one thing that Interclimate Network is doing in that is to also roll out your Action in Schools programme. Yeah, so this is this is the package that you know the Climate Voices program. The um, actually what, what we're going through at the moment is a is a is a shift in our business model, if you like. We're 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 moving away from being a delivery uh, organisation to being an enabler. We realise that there's a whole bunch of of very engaged um, organisations around the UK, and we want to empower them to be able to to to. To, you know, to use our successful tools, techniques and material. If I'm a employee working at a big company right now, listening to this, and I'm wondering how I can get involved with and help and support Interclimate Network, James, what do you think uh, I could be doing? Great. Well, that's exactly what we want to hear. Um, so we, we have, um, we're quite a volunteer-based organisation. We have um, essentially um, voluntary advisors, voluntary board of trustees, and then a, a group of volunteers that contribute to us in a number of ways. So um, there's within the organisation itself, you know, any kind of charity needs certain skills: accountants, lawyers, um, you know, uh, etc. Um, and then there's the subject matter. Um, one of your colleagues, uh, Helen, for example, um, she uh, actually contributes to us in terms of subject matter. She writes some of the country briefings. She contributes to blogs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's really about um, making that connection between business and young people, and um, you know, showing that that um, you know what is going on in in that broader business world. And, and encouraging young people to, to, to make that step because they can see that you know, big business does actually, uh, is actually driven um, increasingly by, by climate change. And I guess similarly, if I'm a student or indeed a teacher or some other educator listening to this podcast and wondering how we can get involved with and benefit from the good work that Interclimate Network is doing, how do we get involved? Yeah, sure. Um, well, reach out to us through through our um, our website um, and through our social media. Um, we say we we are really um, got a really exciting year ahead of us here. So we we're, we're actively looking for 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 teachers, for local councils, for for um, uh, also for for NGOs working in this space that can 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 uh, want to access and want to reach young people. I'm not sure if we asked this, Emily, but. Obviously, you're very heavily engaged with climate action and all the stuff you're doing sounds incredible. But I'm curious to learn if there was any particular trigger or thing that happened that made you really want to get involved with climate action. Yeah, so um, like I said, the main thing that got me really wanting to be involved is um, the um, the model uh, climate conference that was put on by Interclimate Network because... Um, not only was it about like learning the information, it was about talking to other young people that were also interested. And uh, uh, the thing, was well, something that I took away a lot from that from that session was when we, after our debate, because we had a 
um, with the country debates, so everyone debates their own points on um, climate change and their own regulations and laws and stuff. And then you have to go to other countries and be like and talk to them about what can we do to um, reduce our carbon footprint? What can we do to um, try and fix this problem? And obviously, that might not be how it exactly works in real life. I don't think all the world leaders sit in a room and go, let's just put all of our laws aside for a second and go, what can we do? But in that way, I think that was something that got me very, very interested because it involved talking to other young people that were also engaged and going, okay, there obviously is some regulatory differences between our countries, but this is a solution that needs to be fixed. So what can we do? Can, you, can you walk us through some of the solutions you came up with? Um, yeah, it was just over a year ago now, this first um, climate conference. So I think, um, so I was representing the UK and we were talking to the country, that, to the people that were representing China. And we spoke about how obviously with a lot of... Um, shipping and a lot of manufacturing that goes on in China obviously a lot of that is driven by um, a desire for consumption and importing from the western world so we, we spoke about how we can reduce it because obviously Britain, France, America we already had our industrial revolution so it's not necessarily fair to say to other countries that are currently going through that as part of their developmental process to be like well you have to stop because it's not fair on everyone else obviously and that is something that is, I think, quite a big um, geopolitical issue when we are talking about climate change is the perceived fairness of telling another country to stop. So I think a solution that we were talking about was essentially, OK, you can continue to do this, but you have to at least look at maybe a carbon tax or having peaked by a certain year, which I think is... I think that's what China ended up doing. So I think that we were maybe slightly on course with the discussion that we ended up trying to have, which was quite rewarding. We, um, we, uh, it's a very exciting part of the conference, actually, this, because this is where they, uh, they, they, they're well into it by now. All the inhibitions have gone and, you know, they've, they've ceased to, to be sort of, you know, a little bit timid about the formal environment and, and talking to other schools. And they get off their chairs and they mix and, and we give them three uh, core themes and a little bit of a briefing. It's around forests, oceans and uh, cities. And we ask them to, to, to you know, build on some of the declarations that have been made of how can one country take its, um, take its resources, its IP, its, its desire, its need, whatever, and help another country to actually achieve you know, a, a, a fair outcome. And I think that, that, um, that spirit that, that Emily's just said about it being fair, it, is, it just comes out in spades. It's, it's, um, it's really um, a, a dominant sort of force that flows through the conference. So James, when you watch the students, in the conference, does it for you very much mirror what's actually going on in the world when we see world leaders coming together to discuss these very issues? Well, I, 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 I wish it did. Um, we, we get a result in about three hours, which I think is <laughs> You've slightly got a, you, different. You have a better success rate then. <laughs> and as a, yes, it's, um, you know, of course, the, 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 the barriers have, have come down pretty quickly. And there is, the, and this is what's so wonderful about it is because it's the young person's view on the world. Let, hey, hey, guys, let's sort this out. We can do it. Yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of it because obviously you're never going to have two world leaders say, um, just sit down and go, okay, let's 
ignore the fact that our policies on this are completely different and it would involve completely changing our policies or what can we do? That's, at the moment at least, not realistically going to happen in um, our governments and in our politics. So I think it was definitely you were very optimistic about the solutions we came up with. But I think even though they were obviously done by teenagers, like 16, 17, 18-year-olds, so they're not going to be the perfect actual solutions that many countries will come up with. But I think it's at least a talking point that's worth talking about because in very often in politics, especially around something like climate change, there's very much a level of bureaucracy that gets tied up in talking about solutions to these issues. And I think... Especially, I mean, even when I talk to my friends about it, there's a lot of irritation around the fact that it takes weeks and months to make a decision. And obviously there are bureaucratic issues that do require a length of time. But I think what was quite interesting about the conference is that when we forgot about the issues of bureaucracy and the issues of um, regulatory alignment between the countries, a solution was reached. And it might not have been the most perfect one in the world, but there was one that was made, which I thought was quite interesting. And if you go from looking at kind of the big picture solutions to the small, actionable items, I think one of the most difficult parts of making the right choice for the environment is that some of these solutions are presented as very stark. You know, we all have to go vegan tomorrow. Uh, You know, everybody needs to only ride their bicycle to get around. Uh, Which I think can be quite intimidating to a lot of people who do want to make a change but see these you know, the, it, it very much as a as an all or nothing approach. And I'd, I'd be interested in both of your views. I mean, James, what, you know, your organization thinks about small steps and maybe, Emily, what you've done in your local council around small steps and how people can can make a difference themselves. I think it's it's all about the small steps. To be honest, I think we 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 give them the perspective uh, of the global situation and and give them that you know empower them. But but ultimately, it, um, actions speak louder than words, and um, and and really, it's about encouraging and then showing them that that a that they can do it and b that it does make a difference. Yeah, I think like you were saying, there's um, a lot of alienation in the way that a lot of that a lot of people talk about um climate justice in that it's right like you were saying there's an idea of you need to go vegan tomorrow only walk or ride your bike n- never emit any carbon whatsoever because that's bad and obviously we do need to look at reducing our carbon intake but saying everyone has to do a thousand steps overnight is not going to achieve anything it's going to alienate people and it's going to make them care a thousand times less about what you're trying to achieve um, so more so because we in our youth council we choose three campaigns a year that impact our local area they're um, voted on by our local young people and so for this year one of our three campaigns is on climate change and we're looking at reducing our plastic waste in Reading and I can't report on how well that's doing because we literally just launched it so <laughs> that's not quite I can't quite say how we've achieved that, but I'm also on my eco committee for my school. So one of our big focuses has been to increase our recycling. And it's been a process. It take, um, There's definitely a lot of, like, we, like we've been saying before, of a level of disengagement in what can one person's choices make a difference in. So I think that, like you were saying, 
the way that we talk about climate change and you have to do a thousand steps you have to not ever make any waste ever and you have to go vegan and you have to ride your bike or walk everywhere because anything else is bad for the environment and makes you bad i don't think that's actually helping anyone or helping the planet or helping people's own goals i think the way that we need to be more rephrasing the way that we're talking about climate change is okay this is clearly an issue what can we do on a very small very personal scale we can recycle more we can make sure that we're recycling the right stuff we can maybe once a week try to go without meat we can maybe try to catch a bus rather than driving the 10 minutes into the town center then i think if we spoke about it in a much more achievable manner there would be a lot more achieved than if we spoke about it in an all or nothing approach Emily, I, I, I personally find you very inspirational. Um, I'm wondering if you could maybe to wrap us up, give us some words of advice for others who are under 25 who want to be more active in, the, in, the, in this space, in the, environmental, uh, in the environmental space. I think that if you want to be more active in an environmental space, the best thing you can do is ask um, find companies such as Interclimate Network, go to your head teacher and say, do we have an eco-committee? What can we do? If you're at college or university, look at um, maybe trying to do a campaign for reducing waste. It doesn't have to be, we don't all have to be amazing activists. We don't all have to be Greta Thunberg. That would be quite impossible. But what we can do is at least change aspects of our own lives and try and make more people aware. It doesn't it's better to have a thousand people trying to save the planet imperfectly than to have one person doing absolutely everything. And I think that's something that's forgotten quite a lot. There may be one last question uh, to bring it back to the theme of justice and access to law. Uh, if you had one bit of advice for people when looking at the legal system and when looking at the regulations that you you were researching in connection with your Model UN conference, um, what advice would you give people in terms of of using the law to achieve their to achieve their environmental goals? I think that people, in terms of using the law to use their environmental goals, it's very important for people to look at what they can achieve within the law and also look at changing a law if that is something that you are interested in. so if if someone feels very strongly or if many, many people feel very strongly, you can write to your MPs, you can write to your policymakers. I think there are many very productive ways that young people can try and change laws to try and get outcomes that they think would be more positive for the environment. And I think that writing to an MP or going to your um, going to the House of Parliament, sitting in on many local councils will have um, an event once a month or so where you can go and talk to the councillors and ask questions and ask them to do things. And I think even just reaching out on that level can make a very, very big difference to your local area. James, any final words of wisdom from you on uh, advice to the under 25s in this area? I, I just I just back up what Emily said is is get involved. You know, there there are so many ways to to make a difference and make it personal and go and do something yourself. Well, thank you both so much for coming in and spending the time to chat with us today. I think. Well, thanks for having us. I think yeah, Matesh yeah. and I both learned a lot. Yeah. Um, I think we both walk away inspired as well, and we hope our listeners will as well. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Thank you. 
So if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can go to our website, which is uh, www.interclimate.org, and you'll find uh, materials on there. You'll find some information about what our what we're doing, our events, and uh, and also some blogs. So we'd be delighted to hear from you um, if you are, are uh, involved with the school or want to get involved or if you're an individual that would like to, to help us to get involved, then it would be great to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about the in-house pro bono group, please visit our website at info at inhouseprobono.uk. For more information on Justice Week 2020, please visit the Law Society's website. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us again next time. This podcast was recorded in February 2020. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the interviewees. They do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of the in-house pro bono group or its members. Thank you.